Good evening. If you would, turn in your Bibles with me to Psalm 30 as we continue our series through Book 1 of the Psalms. Uh, In our psalm this evening, David praises God for delivering him from conflict. And that's nothing new of a theme in the book uh, that we're studying. But David here also confesses that his pride has added to his conflict. Um, This is a famous psalm, and it has many wonderful, memorable verses in it. And so let's enjoy reading it uh, as we do together and being instructed by it. But first, let's pray together. Father, this is no empty word for us, but our very life. By this word, we shall live. And so would you help us to run from sin, which is the way of death, and help us know the life and joy of Christ. Teach us by your word to run in his way, to run from sin and to follow after him. Lord, we thank you for Jesus's life and his death and his resurrection by which our sins are washed away, thrown into the bottom of the sea. We thank you for the life that we have in him and we pray that you would help us by your Holy Spirit this evening. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. If you're able, would you stand with me and look along with me as we read Psalm 30. Hear the word of the Lord. A Psalm of David, a song at the dedication of the temple. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you His saints, and give thanks to His holy name. For His anger is but for a moment, and His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You may be seated. Well, David in our psalm is on the other side of some difficulty that he begins talking about in the first few verses. And we don't get a lot of detail about it, but we do get this interesting note about the setting uh, for this psalm, that it's for the dedication of the temple. Now, that might strike you as strange because David wasn't alive for the dedication of the temple. Uh, The Lord did not allow David to build the temple and instead gave that task to David's son, Solomon. But there's no reason that David couldn't have written this for that future occasion when Solomon would build the temple. Or since the Hebrew word for temple is just the word house, it could be that David is rejoicing that God has established his house at the beginning of his reign as king. Well, either way, 
This psalm is about praising God who keeps His promises even when His promises look like they're in trouble. And David knew a lot about that, having to trust the Lord when all that the Lord had promised to him looked like it wasn't going to happen. When David was young, God sent Samuel to anoint him, and he became the already and not yet king of Israel. The current king at the time, Saul, tried to kill him. For a while, Saul made it look like God's promises were in trouble. The Lord often surprises us this way. And he surprises us this way just as he made David king after that terrible ordeal with Saul. Ultimately, the Lord surprised us in the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who would save his people from their sins marched into Jerusalem not to reclaim it for Israel, but to die on the cross. And the disciples despaired Friday evening, all day Saturday, into Sunday morning until they heard the report that the tomb was empty, that Jesus wasn't there, that graves were for dead men, and Jesus was alive. He turned their weeping into joy. He turned their mourning into dancing. And as we await the Lord's return, there are times when it seems long. And the Lord is not being slow as some count slowness, but He's being patient. And so in this world, we have sorrow. But we can trust, and this psalm reminds us to trust that Jesus will turn our sorrow into joy as we await the day that we meet Him. This psalm beautifully illustrates this for us, that God turns our mourning into dancing, that He ordains pain, but He also brings worship and gladness out of it. And so let's see that picture for us in this psalm. Uh, see with me four things this evening. And first, David's testimony in verses 1 through 3. He begins, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up. Extol, that is, I'll lift up your name. I'll raise up your name because you are great. And David thanks God because God has drawn him up. It's very vivid language that David's using here at the beginning. The verb is uh, of uh, the, the images of you drawing water up from a well, kind of like Moses was drawn out of the Nile. Or before him, Joseph was taken up out of the cistern that his brothers had thrown him down into. There are different Hebrew words that are being used there, but the image is the same. David was sunk down deep and near the point of death. His enemies stood around him as if they were standing down, looking above him, ready to kill him. But what did the Lord do? God drew him up. Like a man pulls a bucket from a deep well, God brought David from the deep darkness into the brightness of his grace. What a picture of God's mercy to David and to us. And so David is rejoicing and not his enemies after all. And this gives us a good picture of David's suffering in general in his life, whether he's running from Saul or his son Absalom. We're, we're reminded here, if you haven't figured this out already in the Psalms, that David is no stoic. And these were emotionally terrible times for David. He wasn't just running from Saul. He wasn't just figuring out uh, what to do with his son Absalom's rebellion. He was, verse 5 says, weeping. Uh, he uh, he felt like God had hidden his face from him. 
It was a time of pleading with the Lord and a time of mourning for David. David experienced and he expressed the emotions that he felt. He was was not a person who stuffed his emotions. But at the same time, he was not someone who succumbed to his emotions. He did not let his emotions rule him. He knew what to do with them. He knew what to do with his sorrow, and that was to bring his sorrow to the Lord. And so see David's reaction in verse 2. I cried to you for help. David does not wallow in self-pity. Now, After Absalom's death, he's there for a minute, but he listens to a rebuke from Joab to, to get up and to keep moving. What does David do when he's faced with terrible sorrow? He prays. And God hears. And then David praises God. That's David's rhythm throughout his life, and it should be ours. When we suffer, we pray. And when God hears and answers our prayer, we rejoice. And David is rejoicing here. He says in verse 2, you have healed me. Now, some people think that the occasion for this psalm, perhaps David wrote it after a period of illness. But healed, that verb is used in the Old Testament metaphorically in several different places. In 2 Chronicles 7.14, it says, if my people humble themselves, I will heal their land. In Isaiah 53, verse 5, it says, by his wounds, the suffering servant, the Lord Jesus, by his wounds we are healed. That is, we are forgiven of our sin. Hosea 14, 4, God says he will heal his people's apostasy. That's amazing, isn't it? He'll heal their apostasy, meaning he will reconcile himself to them. He will reconcile them to himself. And so it fits the context a little more, not not just so much that David is healed from some sickness, but the Lord has restored him. David is saying, you took away my suffering. You brought me back to my former state. It was like the rug was pulled out from under me and you have put me back on solid ground, just like I prayed. Now, God doesn't always do this for us before we get to heaven. He doesn't always answer our prayer for the end of suffering the way that we ask Him to. But we should remember here that He does do it. And so we should pray. We should boldly approach the throne of grace. Why? Because we have a merciful Father. And we have a perfect mediator in the Lord Jesus Christ who hears our prayers and delights to answer them. And so that, uh, like, uh, Shadrach, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego prayed in the fiery furnace. They prayed trusting that the Lord would deliver them. But their confession was that even if he doesn't, that he is still worthy of their praise and indeed is still their God who is with them. And so trust the Lord who is with you no matter what your circumstance is. Well, in verse 3, David says, O oh Lord, you've brought up my soul from Sheol, from the grave, he says. David literally deepens this metaphor. You didn't just draw me up from some underground cistern. You drew me up from the grave itself. I was dead or close to it. And it's as if you brought me back to life. Is David being a little too intense with this psalm? I don't think so. David's, the, the David's expressing his depth of sadness. 
he hadn't completely lost hope. He's not despairing. But David was at the end of his rope. And what a picture of our salvation this is. God takes us dead in our trespasses and restores us to life. He reaches down into Sheol, into the very grave, and pulls us out. And how did Jesus do that for us? Well, He did that by going down to the pit Himself. He descended to Sheol for us. He was, de- he was dead, buried, and then risen. Hallelujah. What a Savior we have. And if any are in Christ, how wonderful is this? The grave is not too low for Him to get you. That is Jesus' promise to us. That even if the Lord had said no to David's prayers, and He did, in fact, descend and die in the grave, the Lord would get him from there. And He would forever praise the Lord. And because this is the promise to us who trust in the Lord, who are in Christ, that even in death, the Lord has us. Death only brings us to the Lord Himself. Well, David turns now from talking about his uh, troubles. He turns to us and he teaches us. It's like he's overwhelmed with joy for his deliverance and for the God uh, who loves him. And he tells us to sing and he teaches us about God's character. So see with me in verses 4 and 5, David's teaching. He says in verse 4, Sing praises to the Lord, O you His saints. It's a very direct command, isn't it? Sing praises, you saints. It's an incredible invitation for us. And what an incredible title he uses for his hearers too. You saints. Now, saints does not mean the varsity Christians or the best in church. It's a, it's a name for all Christians. Those called holy by God set apart by Him and for Him. We we don't deserve this title, saints, but that's the title that you have if you are in Christ. You've received it by grace. And David's using it here. And so a question for us is, do we think of ourselves this way? That we are called holy ones, but by none other than the Lord Himself. And this is not our own work. It's the work of Christ for us. What should it do for us to to hear this title for ourselves that we are called saints uh, by the Lord? Well, the one one thing it should do is it should drive us to holiness. We should pursue uh, holiness, uh, casting off sin, fighting against the sin that so easily entangles us, and pursuing uh, to live up to this righteous and wonderful name that we've been given. But it should also drive us to thankfulness, to rejoice. We don't deserve this wonderful title that the Lord has given us, and yet He has by grace. And so we sing praises to the Lord, and we give thanks to His holy name. The, the word for name is interesting. Uh, it, it's, in Hebrew, it's a, it's a word that's often translated memory. And, and so the idea here, and perhaps the translators didn't write it this way, to give thanks to His holy memory that's the way we might speak of a, a dead person. Uh, but it's what, what it's having us do is think about God's reputation. Think of His acts throughout history. Give thanks to His holy name. 
The Lord is a God who has worked for us in history. We praise Him for who He is. We also praise Him for the concrete things that He has done for us and for His people throughout the centuries. When we sing and when we pray, we look back on all that God has done and we rejoice. When you read the Bible and you pray, Uh, Thank God for uh, working throughout uh, whatever you're reading in the scriptures. If you're reading about Noah, uh, praise the Lord that he preserved Noah through the flood. If you're reading about Joseph, praise the Lord that he preserved uh, Joseph and brought him out of prison, used him to feed people during famine. If you're reading about the Exodus, you praise the Lord that he brought the Israelites out of Egypt. And in all of those things, you see pictures of your own salvation in Christ. David would have thought about all these things and he would have thought about his own history. God preserving him from Saul and Absalom and his many other difficulties through his life. We ultimately think of Jesus. Jesus who came and who is coming again soon. We think of redemption. But we also think, as David calls us to mind for us, as we think, as we give thanks to God for his holy name, We think about his redemption, but we also think of his discipline. That the Lord disciplined the Israelites in the wilderness for their sin. David would, uh, perhaps if it's after this event, think of the discipline that he experienced for his adultery with Bathsheba. Well, David has another story of discipline, and he recounts it in verses 6 through 10. Um, But before he gets to it, he gives us this perspective, and it's in verse 5. He says, For God's anger is but for a moment, and His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. God's anger is but for a moment. What is this anger that lasts for a moment? Well, it can't be the anger against unrepented sin. Uh, which deserves hell, uh, where worm doesn't die and where fire isn't quenched. That anger of the Lord against sin is eternal, and it should strike fear into all mankind and make people run to Christ for salvation. This momentary anger that David is talking about must refer to the discipline that God gives His children in love. Like Hebrews says, He is treating you as son when He disciplines you. What is the Lord doing when He disciplines us? It's not bare punishment. It's hardship that the Lord gives us in order to correct us. And and why is it momentary? Well, not because God's anger overcomes Him suddenly and and then after a moment it passes. Uh, If if that was the case, then there, there would be something that God wasn't in control of. His anger would somehow be stronger than he was. No, God is in complete control of his anger. So why is this anger only momentary? Well, our sin deserves God's anger. But in Christ, the Lord is merciful and he restrains his anger from us. But the Lord must discipline our sin. And so when he does, we can think about these wonderful truths. When the Lord disciplines us for something, first, it's always less severe than we deserve. And as we see in this verse, it's always limited so that it will not last forever. 
And third, it is always unto restoration. God is treating us as sons. When He sends some hardship uh, into our lives because of sin, the the Lord ultimately uh, is seeking to burn away the dross of our sin and purify the gold. And this is meant to encourage us. Now, not all suffering that comes to us is God's discipline uh, for us. But all of it, any hardship that comes to us, is under the Lord's control. And all of it is meant to sanctify us. Whatever you're going through, your response is the same. Repent of sin. Ask the Lord to search you and know you and see if there is any a displeasing thing in you that you may repent of sin. Repent of sin and worship Christ. Come to Him in faith asking for His help. Learn more and more to cling less to the world and more to Christ. We, we read there that the, His anger is but for a moment, but His favor is for a lifetime. Or the Hebrew there more literally reads, His favor is life. What does that mean? What's the idea there? It is that His favor extends beyond just your lifetime. Yes, His favor is, if if you've trusted Christ and it's for your lifetime, it fills up your life with life. And then it goes on into eternal life. The Lord is abundant in His provision and in His mercy to us, His children. Paul says uh, in a similar way, Uh, Paul, also a man who knew suffering very well in 2 Corinthians 4.17, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. For Paul, a man who knew prison time, beatings, and shipwrecks, plural, Paul could call all of these light and momentary. How could he do that? By comparison. Comparison to what? To an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Paul means you can't write an equation that does this justice. Being in God's presence will make every beating he experienced, every sickness, every loss worth it. And so it is for us. Friends, do you trust the Lord to bring triumph out of every one of your trials. He will. He turns mourning into dancing. Weeping may tarry for the night. It may linger through the dark night. Uh, It may fill your soul and grip you with anxiety and worry. But just as surely as the dawn is coming, the Lord's mercy is coming. And like the dawn, joy will come into your life. And not some, uh, not, not some fleeting feeling, but joy Himself. Christ is with you through your greatest sufferings. Trust Him. Look to Him. And for help, David gives us a personal example from his own life. See in verses 6-10 through 10 with me, David's trouble. And here David confesses that there was a time where he indulged in pride and that it added to his grief and difficulty. In verse 6 it says, As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. 
I don't think that what David has in view here is his adultery with Bathsheba. This seems to be a different event. But what was the problem here? David got to a point in his life where he started to get comfortable. Now, that's not a problem in and of itself necessarily, but that comfort for David turned into conceit. And David in his prosperity said, I shall never be moved. Notice the pride in that word, never. David had been so richly blessed that he began to presume on his blessings. Be careful when you think that you stand, that you do not fall. David fell. And notice here how clearly David confesses. Reading this almost makes you feel embarrassed for David, doesn't it? I said in my pride, I shall, in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. This is what confession sounds like. Uh, saying your sin uh, as clearly as you can so that it sounds exactly like what it was. This is what confession sounds like. Do you know this sound? Does your wife know this sound? Does your husband know this sound? Do your children know this sound? Children, do your parents know the sound of you confessing your sin? David is showing us here what a contrite heart looks like and what a contrite heart does. We confess our sins. We say them for what they are. And we know God's forgiveness. In verse 7, David says, By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong, and then you hid your face, and I was dismayed. There are many outstanding verses in this psalm, but this is a verse that should not be forgotten. It's such a concise profile of how we are led astray by our pride, but then how God brings us back by His grace. You made my mountain strong. When David said that, he's talking about his kingship. He's talking about the Lord establishing him like a rock, like a towering mountain. Who would go against the mighty King David? But David seems to have forgotten along the way how that mountain became so strong. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain strong. And, and don't we know this feeling? A little success, a little prosperity, a little peace, and we began to fold our hands and get awfully pleased with ourselves. David began to trust in himself instead of his God. And so what happened? Well, David says, God hid his face. What an interesting phrase that is, and what a terrifying thing. Uh, Calvin says that God gave David humiliation like it was a medicine for pride. And that's not medicine that any of us want to take. But God might give it to us for the sake of our souls because He loves us. God removed uh, uh, blessings from David, perhaps, or He sent David into difficulty. We're not sure exactly what this looked like in David's life. Um, but, uh, but we've seen this in other places in Scripture. The Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4, he boasted in his prosperity. And then God took from him his mind, his mental faculties. About the sluggard in Proverbs 6, it says a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands. And for the lazy man described there, it definitely means more than just a little. But a little bit of these things and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. 
Herod in the book of Acts entertains the praises of men who say he's like a god, who say he is a god. And he dies soon after, worms eating him from the inside out. Calvin says that God brought darkness because David was being blinded by the light of prosperity. He needed God to turn the lights off so that David would stop and ask, what's wrong? And David, by God's grace, would realize that he was wrong, that he needed to repent, that he needed to stop trusting in his blessings and trust in the God who gave these blessings in the first place. He was dismayed, but then what did he do when he was dismayed, when he was brought low? You know what the answer is at this point. He prayed. This is always the right answer for what to do when you're in this situation. He prays. He sought the Lord. It's in verses 8 through 10 uh, that we hear his prayer, and it's a desperate prayer. In verse 8, I plead for mercy. In verse 9, what profit is there in my death? And then in verse 10, hear, O Lord, be merciful, be my helper. Now, Maybe it jumped out to you when David said, what profit is there in my death? Maybe that sounds a little prideful to you. He's not being prideful here and he's not being presumptuous. It's not like David saying, God, you need me on your team, so keep me here. David is asking God for mercy repeatedly. And he's not claiming that he deserves a long rule as king. When David asks, what profit is there in my death? Will dust praise you? Will faithfulness, will faithfulness tell? Notice that he's not saying anything unique about himself. David could have said this about anyone. He's saying something that's true for all believers. If a faithful person lives, he's going to testify to God's saving work. And if he dies, he's going to go be with the Lord. But he would rather stay in a little bit longer and do what God has called him to do. David is just a man. And he's praying like a man who would like to live to see another worship service. To go to another prayer meeting and say, look what the Lord did for me. And that's what verse 9 is all about. David wants to publicly praise God. If God saves David, then all glory to him. And David is going to make sure that people know. If he's here, he's going to thank God. And brothers and sisters, would that be our aim? If the Lord gives us another day, another week, another year, if the Lord gives us decades and decades, would we live to praise the Lord, to testify to His grace in our life, His kindness in our times of trouble? Well, God did bring David out of this time of trouble. And David records beautiful praise for us. If you need a model for praising the Lord, it's here in verses 11 and 12. Look there with me and see David's trouble transformed. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You've loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Just briefly here uh, as we finish, notice this with me. Uh, God has turned David's sorrow into rejoicing. And and he's turned his mourning into dancing. Uh, Dancing is often in the Old Testament tied with military victories. Uh, Miriam and the women dance and sing after the horse and rider have been thrown into the sea, uh, after the exodus from Egypt. Uh, After Jephthah's victory over the Ammonites, his daughter comes out of their house dancing. 
When David returned from battle with the Philistines, the women danced and sang, Saul has struck down his thousands, David his ten thousands. When David brought the ark into Jerusalem, he danced in a linen ephod. And it, you might remember it embarrassed his wife, Michal, Saul's daughter. Not because he was in his underwear. I don't think that's what was going on in that. Uh, the, the point there was that David was not dressed like a king. In fact, what David was doing is he was acting like God was the king instead of him. David was dancing not for his own victory, but for the Lord who is victorious over all things. Dancing is for joy, especially for victory. And so David's mourning has become celebration of his victorious God. David is not praising himself. He's not going back to resting in his former prosperity and patting himself on the back. He is looking at the Lord as the true king, as the one who accomplishes victory for his people. God has changed David's mourning into dancing. And he's even changed his clothes. David says he was wearing sackcloth, a typical sign of mourning. And he says that the Lord has clothed him with gladness. It can also be translated joy. It's a word associated with feasting, with rejoicing with uh, the people. David's no longer at the end of his rope, but he's no longer boasting in himself either. The joy of the Lord is his strength. And so what will David do? Well, in verse 12, he says that his glory, that is his whole being, will sing. And don't you love the determination of this phrase, will not be silent? You couldn't keep David from telling you what the Lord has done for him if you tried. And may it be for us as well. And David says he will do this for how long? Forever. Some people think that in the Old Testament they just didn't know anything about the afterlife. That's not true. David believes that he is going to praise the Lord, not just for the rest of his life, but through all eternity. David knows that he and the saints will sing forever in glory. Brothers and sisters, is this your hope? That you will sing of the Lord and rejoice in Him forever. We can do this because Jesus has turned our mourning into dancing. Jesus has, when the disciples despaired on that that Friday night and that Saturday, wondering what would come of Jesus, Jesus turned their mourning into dancing with His resurrection. And for us too, as we walk through this life and face all sorts of sorrow, there is no sorrow greater than our sin and being dead in our sins and trespasses and having no hope in ourselves. Uh, if, if If we were dead and stuck in our sins with no hope, then our lives should be nothing but mourning and tragedy and sorrow. But friends, Christ has come. Christ has come to turn your mourning your dead selves uh, locked in sin, buried in the grave, to turn you not just back to life, but to set you dancing. And the Lord does this by His grace in Jesus Christ. Let's go to Him now in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank You that You have turned our mourning into dancing by Your grace. We pray that You would help us as we continue to praise You and to worship You. It is in Your great name that we pray. Amen.